On today's show, Quinn Snyder is now officially in place as the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks, and I am joined by Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops to talk about all kinds of things for the Hawks. Snyder's introduction, as well as what's to come next for the Hawks on offense, on defense, scheme-wise, all that fun stuff, and uh, a fun conversation to be had coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1421 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening after a very busy stretch from the Atlanta Hawks. And I am joined on today's podcast by my friend, a, a regular contributor to this podcast. Not not as much as the 8729 podcast, I would say, but my friend Glenn Willis is back of Peachtree Hoops. Glenn, welcome back to the show. How are you on this fine Monday? Yeah, good. Busy week here. Wife and I are trying to buy a house this week and uh, and all that, but uh, certainly a lot of basketball stuff going on too. So having to uh, find some balance there across all of that, <laughs> but uh, really appreciate having you back. Good to be here. Always enjoy a chance to talk with you. A few things going on for sure. Um, again, we're recording this Monday afternoon, evening. If you don't follow me on Twitter, you may not know that I was not at the press conference today. I haven't a chance to watch it and uh, listen to it, but uh, I had dental work done. So if I sound funny or if my mouth goes, uh, goes crazy here, uh, you'll know what happened. But obviously today was the introduction of Quinn Snyder. Um, I, I mean, honestly, and I, I made sure that Glenn had a chance to look at it, at least a little bit of the, uh, of the video from what transpired there wasn't a ton of news i'm not sure if you feel the same way glenn like i wasn't expecting a lot of like fireworks i guess the only thing that's like a nuts and bolts thing is that he's going to coach on tuesday that's the plan um I, that was reported as likely but now seems to be happening other than that it was a very kind of generic not in a bad way but a, a generic press conference it was very positive everybody's excited uh there was even applause which i always find funny for those things with media around at one point um obviously you know players and coaches on on the scene team personnel, et cetera. I wonder what you thought of that. And then we'll sort of dive into what you think about the hire itself, because that's obviously more important for our purposes here. Yeah. I had a chance to work through it. Um, uh, I had to get a little creative and get some help with getting access to it. Since I'm not in the, uh, the Valley uh, sports South uh, sports Southeast area. Yeah. Uh, but I did, I did finally with some help get my hands on it. Uh, no, I mean, pretty typical, like, you know, everyone says all the right things. Everyone's happy. I, I, the applause doesn't bother me when someone's getting a new job. It's like, you know, I know that's not the customary way that the media interacts and stuff like that, but nothing wrong with sort of a, a polite, you know, applause of congratulations on the new job kind of thing. Now, the only thing that kind of caught a little bit of my attention was when Quinn was talking about, I don't want to put too much in the players' heads, you know, that we have some guys who have some wonderful basketball instinct. I'm paraphrasing here. Um, and, and that's, that, that to me was interesting because my view when you and I talked a little bit about this was that if Quinn is pretty intense about the details, about the fundamentals and, and all that sort of stuff. And I've talked, you know, different places about how it, I think it'd be interesting to see how Trey kind of engages with that style that Quinn normally has. We all grow and develop and maybe kind of handle different situations, but I thought that was Quinn kind of. Maybe taking uh, taking a shot at the first gesture of some flexibility and some willingness to kind of collaborate around the kind of style this team needs, which is a different different team than his Utah teams. Um, so that kind of 
is the only thing kind of kind of grabbed me as being so interesting and kind of meaningful from my perspective. Yeah, I, I had the same thought. I wonder how much of it is also practical because you know it's been a talking point and one that I've been sharing as well. Like this is a very odd situation. He's coming in very late, and I think just practically, especially for like the, the first couple games he's not going to have any time to put anything in. Like he's going to be, you know, he's coaching the game on Tuesday with no practice. They didn't even practice today. So like, he's literally going to be a head coach of a team. He's never had had nothing to do with putting together and his assistants are all going to be there. I I have a feeling at least he understands while, you know, I agree with what you said about him being, he's, you know, honestly has the reputation of being very controlling and very much, um, you know, very focused on this, on that kind of detail. But like, I think he's going to have to at least try to let it go a little bit early on because he's not going to be, you can't put everything in in one day or even a week or two weeks. Like it's going to have to be a process. And I think they all know that they're all saying the same things, but that's one of the questions that I, I keep getting asked. It's like, what's the system going to look like? And it's like, well, I know what Quinn likes to run from Utah. I wasn't covering that team every day. And that's what we'll probably talk about this a little bit on this podcast, but it's going to have to be a hybrid for this season. I mean, there's no way around it. I can't imagine it's going to start looking like the, like the full on Quinn Snyder system until next season i mean maybe maybe at the end of this year maybe at at that point but um you don't just flip a switch i know it's like from the outside you might not understand the nuances of this thing but you know glenn you're far more into the x's and o's than i am but it feels like it's going to look like what they ran the last couple games more so than what the coincider offense looks like at least for a while i just it kind of has to i feel like yeah absolutely but i mean but you know it's interesting to me that you kind of watch quinn's progression even in utah early on maybe the first one, two, three years, it was a lot of like the early bud days in Atlanta where the ball has energy, everybody touches it. You know, we want to kind of get some touches before we get into, you know, a, a specific action. Uh, and then especially with the arrival of Donovan Mitchell there, you know, he became more and more flexible offensively and allowed Donovan and empowered Donovan to be able to kind of attack if he saw leverage early in the shot clock and and didn't require kind of, you know, let's get three touches before we kind of get into X or Y or Z or what have you. And so I think sometimes we think about Quinn being one thing, and it's been interesting for me to kind of go back and do a little bit of kind of a review of what I've seen, some things I've captured along the way. And he really did kind of evolve in terms of how much collaboration and empowerment he gave specifically when the office was built around uh, Donovan Mitchell. So I, I hope that that evolution of his kind of sets him up to be at a good point to kind of enter this opportunity and, 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 and find some, some balance with his teammates. And, and even though it was a brief statement today, I thought that was suggestive that that's, he tends to kind of enter that role um, looking for some balance, which I think will, I think would be well received. I would think. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's it's worth monitoring that entire progression and just the realization that Quinn Snyder has coached a lot of different places and done a lot of things. He's not he's not a, he's not a one system guy. I think that it's a just an interesting way to describe it because it's a natural way. Just like all right, what is his system? You know, I, I think that a big part of his appeal is that he's very adaptable to players and the fact that he's not going to just impose something on a on the team that does not fit his his style and i think he he said that today some of the buzz around the, the reporting beforehand was like just talking about talking about how, how adaptable he is and it's a great example just as you bring up just to watch his progression in utah from a team that didn't have the guy early in his tenure and they ran a much more free-flowing you know i, I described it last night as kind of like the early bud years when they didn't have they didn't have a guy and it was a lot of a lot of motion and all that stuff and then when with donovan 
it's a lot more conventional in some ways. It's a lot more pick and roll, and that's the way you do that. And obviously, they have Trey on this team, so it might look more like that than it did early on in Utah. But that's a huge part of the appeal for me anyway, in a good way, of Quinn Snyder, is that he's not going to just force feed something that doesn't fit this roster and I also noticed this is not part of the press conference, but it was actually one of sort of the package around Valley. I'm not sure if you saw it or not, but Kyle Corver did an interview with Bob Rathbun either before or after um, on camera. And Kyle, I mean, predictably was pretty effusive in his praise of Snyder. No surprise. But he said, I'm going to I'm going to quote Kyle here. He told Bob that Quinn is the most creative mind he'd ever come across in the NBA. Now, that's that's not a small thing. Obviously, he he now works with Quinn, so there's a little bit of great assault there. But Quinn was Kyle's guy. So every player has their guy they work with um, on, the, on, the, on the assistant staff. Quinn was the direct guy that worked with Kyle in Atlanta when he was still playing. And, you know, for Corver, who played, you know, 10, 15 years in the league, to say that um, was an eyebrow raiser in a good way. And I think, you know, just doing some, doing some recognizance behind the scenes for people that covered Utah, especially the last few days, everybody talks about, like, Quinn is is really, I mean, the word genius gets thrown around too much. I don't want to go all, all the way there, but like everyone has a lot of positive things to say about his schematic ability. And that's much more your avenue than mine, but just reputation wise, like everyone kind of just believes that Quinn sees the game differently in a good way. He seems to be uh, very, very well respected in that avenue. Yeah. And, you know, I, I uh, posted on Twitter his kind of playoff record, which I mean, I, I think it's, 440 412 I think is the percentage. Yeah. But and but in 6 years he got his team past the first round and only once was his team a top 4. It was they got the one seed one time, but all the other times they were five or six, you know, and and still got to the second round three out of six times. And I think that that kind of highlights if you you know, I remember like a specific plays a game they won against the Clippers, a really pivotal game they won against the Clippers where he four four went a timeout and um, and attacked, you know, the who the Clippers kind of left on the floor, and um, and you know he just, you know, different from Nate. Nate does Nate doesn't want to change a lot on the fly. You know, Nate's really wants to focus on the basics, the fundamentals, kind of doing all those things right. And there's a lot of value in that. I don't want to you know spin backwards and make this a Quinn versus Nate because it's <laughs> it's it's kind of immaterial at this point, right? It is. Um, but, but but Quinn is a guy who will kind of coach on the fly more so. And I think the modern players are, to a degree, kind of expecting, you know, expecting that real-time help, real-time solutions. When a game is kind of isn't going well, what kind of adjustment can we make? What can we do differently and things like that? I think Quinn is just more oriented that way. And that's not to say that that's, you know, the most important thing for a coach to have, but it's just it's something that's different that he has that, um, you know, is a contrast uh, in some ways. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat this time of year, but you don't want all the fat and calories that come along with it, Built Bar is a fantastic option for you. I know one of my goals this year is to eat actually a little bit healthier this time around. If you're anything like me, taste is important to you as well. And with Built Bar, healthy is tasty. They're so delicious that you won't believe they're actually healthy and good for you as well. They have 100% real chocolate on the outside, and they come in a ton of awesome flavors. That includes peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, and my personal favorite, which is, of course, cookies and cream. Built bars taste like candy bars with 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and 17 grams of protein. And you don't have to wait anymore to get a box of Built Bars. For a long time, I've been telling you to get your Built Bars at Built.com, and you still can. It's an awesome option for you. They have the whole catalog at Built Bar, and you can definitely check that out today. But if you don't want to get um, necessarily waiting for that package to arrive in the mail, Walmart and Sam's Club have them in stock for you right now. 
Walk into Walmart, get a box immediately. Walk into Sam's Club, get a 13-bar box right now of Built Bars. Make sure you check out Built Bar no matter where you want to get your Built Bars from and dive in today. I wonder, and we can't know. I'll say this now. We can't know the answer to this. But I I wonder what you think of just the logistics of how this is going to work early on. We talked about it a second ago a little bit, but, you know, we saw, you know, a giant two game sample size of the Joe Prunty era. Um, but this is the same assistant staff. And I know you're, you're very into assistant coaches like, like I am and just kind of knowing what these guys do. And um, the dynamics are kind of unprecedented, but also I, I want to know almost what you saw the last two games. It's not going to necessarily, uh, maybe, maybe it will. I don't know. That won't tell the story moving forward, but because of what we just said, Quinn isn't going to be able to put a stamp on things. I wonder what you saw the last two games. Obviously there were two wins, but it's probably appropriate to look back at least at that sample size because it wasn't Nate and it was the guys who are still left over. Joe Prunty is going to be the lead assistant under Quinn. And I want to know if anything jumped out to you that changed even from when Nate was gone over the last two games, because that might actually maybe infer what we're going to see for a little while. Yeah. And that, I, I think you're exactly right. I think it is informative to look at these two games for that exact reason you laid out that Quinn's going to have to lean on these guys and can't come in and, you know, really implement, really any change um in my view but it, what's interesting to me is that the games were so vastly different from they, they really were <laughs> yeah against, against cleveland they ran a ton of pick and roll the only iso i remember was maybe two or three possessions really really late after the Cavs started blitzing the pick and roll and get forcing the ball out of trey's hands Dejounte's hands whoever had it and the Hawks kind of got into where, like, okay, we have to attack. You know, we can't attack in the middle. And, and they had some ISO there. It was late. Um, and then Brooklyn forced them into the mid-range, forced them into a lot of one-on-one because they were switching everything. And, and, and you know, it was one of those things, like, teams that play Brooklyn down the stretch might kind of owe them a little bit of a thank you because it is it is kind of a, some preparation for that. That's exactly the style of defense you're going to see in the postseason where they're going to force you – off the three-point line, they're going to heavy switch and get you down in the mid-range. And, you know, the Hawks put up 129 on a really nice shooting line, uh, you know, yesterday. Um, so, there was – I mean, the Hawks tried to get in the pick and roll, but with the Nets switching it, it really became more about getting that matchup, you know. And I, it's funny, when I was watching the game yesterday, I was imagining Nate somewhere watching it kind of laughing that they were having to go. <laughs> go yeah, I, I, I almost made that joke just now when you said that, because it was it didn't really occur to me that way. But you're right. The way that way that sort of laid out was it was a lot of it was a lot of matchup ball, which is kind of what Nate is uh, Nate's known for in offense. Yeah. And it's funny, though, the re- I was breaking down some film today. I did I did the late possessions yesterday, but today and it was interesting. I, I, I found a possession in the first quarter where the Nets attacked the Hawks. Got bogey on the weak side corner. Bogey overhelped, and it created a wide open shot in the left hand corner. And then that was the play they went back to at the very, very end of the game. And it's like, I don't think that was an accident. And then I saw found another play in the, I think in the early, I think it was late first quarter also, where Trey took Bridges one on one, and Trey started kind of left of center. Bridges took him totally off of the line he wanted. Trey got a terrible shot. Then at the end. They went back to Trey on Bridges, and Trey started right up center and got a, a really, really good line of attack. So, that I mean that that game Sunday was one of the for me a guy who loves the X's nose and loves to go back and kind of string together a, a, an understanding of the story of the game through adjustments and tweaks. And th- there was so much of that on Sunday, and the game on Friday was just the Hawks running PNR straight down the Cavs <laughs> game until the yeah. Cavs had that blitz coverage and then the Hawks just kind of scooped out enough. So 
but I mean, to me, if like if the Hawks had won with the exact same formula, I, I wouldn't be left feeling like it was quite as satisfying because they're going to have to win games in different ways. And it was to me satisfying you know, for Hawks fans and, and for the team, I'm sure to be able to go out on, on um, Friday and beat top ranked defense in the league, putting up all those points and they come back. And to me, the Sunday game against the Nets was really a, a battle of toughness. It, it became really a physical game and each team trying to pose the, you know, their will on the other and the Hawks were able to kind of sustain that. They've not always been the toughest team, you know, uh, across these last few years. So, so for me, I, I thought Prunty did a phenomenal job and his staff did a phenomenal job. And I have, I feel sure that Quinn's going to lead a lot, lean a lot on him and a lot on you know, Longabardi as well. Longabardi was getting them in and out of their red scheme. They're switching yesterday, getting them back to it when they need to urgently get back to it. And, and so I think those will be the guy, kind of guys calling a lot of the, you know, real time kind of stuff as Quinn kind of, kind of leans in and stuff. And, um, but it was a great sample. I think it reflects well on Joe Prunty. And I know that all of the comments I've heard coming out where the people were, you know, just, very appreciative and um, you know positive about the, the how he handled those two games and those two games could make a big difference at the end depending on how the rest of the season goes. Yeah, I mean they they were big. I mean that's one of the things about this makes this whole thing very interesting is that the Hawks are of course focused on this year still and they're they're trying to win and most of these teams that make these kind of changes are not and it's a, it's a, even as a dynamic there. But Prunty is very well liked. Uh, he's been around the block a long time and you know even a small thing like this only matters to people like me but his media stuff was great I mean he's very open he was he was given very elaborate answers and I think there's some freedom there when you're only the coach for a handful of games or a handful of days even like you can kind of speak and be a little bit more open but uh it was uh it was certainly fun to kind of chronicle all of that and I'm with you that they, they looked good they looked to be well coached I'm glad you mentioned like Longabardi too because I was going to ask you about Quinn on defense because most of the attention as you, I'm sure not will not be surprised is about the offense. And that's the time. That's the side of the ball that people care about most. And you and I try to bang defense into the ground more than most do. <laughs> but uh, you know, I would say 90% of the questions I've gotten about Quinn is what's his offensive system look like? Okay. I, I get that. But Longobardi to your point, he's very much been the quarterback of the defense this year. It's, it's not even a secret. Like they brought him in to kind of do that. And he's the guy that's up there call, making calls. Um, you know, I'm not the expert that you are on this stuff, but like they go to him when they're changing things and he's the one calling out schemes. And um, I'd imagine that probably continues. We'll see how, if all of things sort of changes overall, but I, I wonder, I'm sure you have, cause you're you, but I wonder what you thought about the defense and like what kind of might get implemented there because, you know, Quinn had some personnel challenges in, in Utah. You know, he also had Rudy Gobert, who's the ultimate weapon defensively, but they also had some perimeter issues at times and they had a very specific scheme they ran because they had Rudy, which gives them some freedom. The Hawks don't have that necessarily, but they have a, a, a facsimile in Clint. They have other, other stuff there. And I wonder what you thought about the defense so far, because that's the area that I think has been discussed uh, far less than the offense. Yeah. It, I mean, it's fascinating because they were, they ran their switching scheme, which they call red um, almost the whole game, but they got out of it off and on. And Langabardi was really vocal getting them back into it. And that getting in and out of it, I think was mostly built around when in the third quarter, especially Brooklyn was really targeting Trey. Yeah. And, and this year the Hawks have been largely successful, really helped. First of all, Trey initiating help to get him out of a bad spot and then his teammates helping him get out of a bad spot. But they, they struggled in the third quarter and that I thought that was one of the primary factors. Brooklyn kind of really got all the way you know back to basically a tie game. Right. 
after the Hawks had a pretty nice lead early in the early going, and they, they kind of got in and out trying to help around that. Um, and when they got back to it, finally, they did a better job of kind of keeping him out of bad spots. But, um, you know, so against Cleveland, it was really more around, you know, ball pressure and forcing Cleveland to try to play through Allen and Mobley, you know, who are both capable guys. But when you're facing a team that has Garland and Donovan Mitchell, you know, you're winning any possession where those bigs have to create, you know, kind of the yep. shot, things like that. So that was, that was more force the ball out of their hands. Um, they were switching it, all the lifting action from the corners, which was not all the, like the red heavy switching, switching we saw against the Nets. They were the switching actions that were uh, lifting guards and wings up the floor. And then against the Nets, it was basically, they were switching like, just, just like this, the whole game. Uh, basically, except for those exceptions that I noted. And when I go back to what Quinn ran in Utah, the the way he leveraged Rudy and set up his techniques was funnel everything to Rudy, funnel everything to Rudy. That really reminds me of the Hawks team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals a few years ago because yep. they had Gallo and Bogey and you know some other challenges as well. Um, and it was funnel everything to Clint, and Clint was amazing during that run. Clint's not quite that guy anymore, you know, um, you know, Clint is two years older and, you know, a little bit more, you know, tread, you know, um, and, and stuff like that. But like, with, that's, that's one reason the Congo, a Congo, a Congo played like almost 17 straight minutes, I think to close the game. Um, and with all the switching, he was, he was really good, you know, yesterday. And so I think what I'm going to expect from Quinn is more of when we're dropping, more minutes for Clint when we're getting near the level of the screen, but not all the way to the level screen, more, a, a more equal distribution between Clint and the Congo when we're switching and other teams are going small. I think we're going to, like we did yesterday, see potentially a Congo logging more minutes than, than Clint. And I think that flexibility and that versatility is going to be huge. And I think that Quinn in collaboration with Longobardi is going to continue to have kind of that flexibility with, what the scheme and the matchup kind of dictates that they have. And I'm, you know, so excited what I've seen from McCongo the last 12, 15 games. I feel like he's hit. We've seen this level of play before in kind of um, samples and, you know, in patches and things, but the last 12 to 15 games or so he's been, he's hit a level of consistency he's never had before. And I, and I think if the Hawks are going to kind of really do something, you know, exceed our expectations potentially this year, a lot of, it's going to be, their defensive play that that really kind of dictates that they seem to have recovered kind of a top five offense finally, um, you know, and so if they can get that defense to play up, then maybe they will be dangerous, you know, come you know the postseason, what wherever they end up landing. Um, but but I I think that'll it'll be a mix of things like they've always had. Uh, I think a lot of teams might start trying to play smaller and smaller and smaller against the Hawks, and because the Hawks. I, I, traditionally struggle to rebound Clint's not on the floor, you know? Yep. And so I think it'll be matchup based, but I think, I think that versatility is something that they'll lean on. And I think that Quinn will work with Longobardi to kind of get, get that, um, get that mix the way they want it. Yeah, I, I agree. And I still think, and I'm not saying you're, you're saying otherwise, I still think that, you know, you're going to see Clint more often than not outpace a Kongwu in minutes, but Last night was a great example of a game where, like, it made total sense to just go with Kongwu. It, it doesn't mean that Kongwu is better than Clint now or anything like that. It's just a matchup thing. They're very, they're very, very different players, and using those strengths is important. But I mean, honestly, I agree with you on Kongwu. 
the big thing, this is more of a future thing that we could save for much later in the process. But if he's playing like this the rest of the season, they're going to have to look at trading Clint at the end of, at the end of the year. And that, that was well, already going to yeah. be the case anyway. Yeah. But it's just one of those things like uh, uh, one of the reasons, one of the reasons why they have not done that yet is that a Kongwu hadn't had the, you know, the half season stretch where he's played at that level to just like force their hand and say, all right, it's time. Obviously there are other reasons beyond that, you know, Trey and Clint have great chemistry. They just really value Clint still a very valuable player, but that's just one of those down the road things that makes sense. But I was going to ask you actually about, um, you know, Quinn early in his tenure, especially they had favors and Gobert playing together a lot. And I, I wonder if that in, in sort of infers anything because, you know, the Hawks don't have, you know, Collins is not Derek Faber's big, but he's a more traditional four than most guys. And then even Jalen Johnson, again, not a traditional guy like Derek Faber's, but has size like that. Like the Hawks have these two traditional big alignments that they could go to. Some teams are shifting small and, you know, you have options to do that. If they want to play Hunter at the four or Sadiq Bay at the four, they can do that. But Snyder has, you know, history of being able to make it work with two bigs. And I know one of the things that was out there, I know our, our friend Andrew Kelly floated this too about um, maybe this is a good, a good thing for Collins because Quinn's had that um, the, the ability in the past to kind of like get him maybe going again, the way that, you know, we all, I know you and I really like Collins still and really value him, but you know, the offensive role has diminished this year and all that stuff. Um, I wonder what you think about just the ability to kind of be malleable, but also just the reality of having, you know, they have these two forwards, these two power forwards in Collins and Jalen, who are very different players, but they're both kind of traditional size power forwards versus the uh, the small ball, you know, combo forward type. Yeah, yeah, it'll be, I mean, it'll be interesting to see um, if, if Quinn can unlock some of that. And it's, it's funny because like the first five, six, seven games of the year, we actually saw a number of plays where both Clint and JC were diving at the same time from each kind of yeah. angle for the three-point break. And that went that went away. I thought that was interesting. Another option is kind of do they trust John to function in the short role? You know, that gives him some space to work with where Clint is maybe in a dunker spot. And so there's a number of things that you could see there. Favors was never the guy they trusted in the short role, but they kind of found a way to kind of make it work. Um, but I mean, but they buried Rudy in the dunker spot a lot to make all the time. Uh, yeah. And that's not something teams really the last five, five years or so don't haven't seen the value in that so much, you know, it used well, to be it's like, also just a different league now. I mean, it's, it's a much, totally. much faster, smaller league than it was even, even five years ago. I and mean, that, that feels, it feels like that's not long, that, not that long of a time, right. but how many teams really do what the Jazz were doing then on offense. It's a pretty small number, at least in yeah. the lineups. So, so, so like imagine JC on the left block, Clint on the right baseline, that kind of setup. JC wanting to turn middle. He has a natural kind of right-handed passing angle to Clint if the help comes from the baseline side. that That's workable. But again, that's becoming obsolete, <laughs> sort of. Or JC loves the right baseline with that inside pivot that he, he has. And Clint on the left base on toughening for JC. Um, and you're going to need motion kind of up top to kind of occupy defenders to kind of create space lower on the floor. And so that'll be one of the first things I look for in the game one, two, three, four, whatever number is do we start to see a little bit more touches for JC kind of in that in that setup? Um, or or not? You know, do we see JC playing um with a Kogu kind of more as a spot up shooter and JC getting more reps in the pick and roll. 
and I don't think necessarily the goal will be let's go away from Okongwu in the pick and roll to JC, but if JC has a defender on him that is more desirable to have put into the pick and roll to kind of go that route, and Okongwu is kind of emerging set shot, I think kind of helps with that as well. So I, that's a great call out in terms of something to kind of watch in the in the first handful of games that we have there is, and, and Andrew, I think, hit on that exactly right, you know, something to watch for sure. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. As a small business owner, a hiring manager, you know, success in 2023 is all dependent on the members that you surround yourself with on your team. That's why LinkedIn Jobs is the best option for you in the hiring process that can help you find the qualified candidates that you're looking for more efficiently. Matching open roles with people who have the skills, the values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals this year. I use them a few times to hire in the past. It's proven to be an awesome resource and it makes the entire hiring process both easy and painless. They help you to attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with targeting tools and then make it easy to scrape applicants based on your job qualifications all in one platform. LinkedIn Jobs goes beyond the resume data by using insights from your job post, your company, and their millions of profiles. Put your post in front of the people that you actually want to be looking at it quickly, and they help you to do it for free. They're also rated at LinkedIn Jobs, number one in delivering quality hires against leading competitors. At LinkedIn Jobs, you find the most qualified candidates you're looking for, and they help you to do it faster and for free. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnNBA. That is LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnNBA. Terms and conditions apply. I think a lot of the focus, again, you know, not to go back to the offense too much, but we can. I mean, it's probably okay to do that. Um, you know, it's going to be on Trey and DeJounte and what that looks like now. And, what, you know, obviously the national storyline is going to be how how does Trey Young work with Quinn Snyder? That's already been out there in the last three days. It is what it is. It's going to happen. I put it out there myself. Even. Well, it's a real story. I mean, it's a real story. <laughs> right. but you know what I mean? That's that's the only story nationally is how it's right. going to work with Trey. And that does matter. But, like, I would, you know, one of the things I have said a lot, and I, it's a little bit simplistic, but I think it's true is that I would not, Nate would not have been the guy that I would have uh, chosen in a vacuum to implement an offense with Trey and DeJounte, put those guys together. Um, Quinn's done it a little bit more. You know, he had, he had Conley and he had Conley and Mitchell together at the end in Utah. That's a little bit similar, not exactly the same, but similar. Um, and I, I just wanted to like what that might look like now. And we're all speculating on that, but it's like uh, that pairing has been pretty good when they play together. It's not like it's been bad by any means, but I, I wonder if we'll see any tweaks, and I have a feeling you thought about this in the last couple of days, um, what, like, it, even anything small that we might look for, because it seems like DeJounte is the, has been the guy who's really catered his game more, which is kind of expected. Right. He's been the one that changed things. He's taking more spot-up threes. He's doing that stuff. They still, uh, you know, there's also the broad question of, like, do we see less mid-rangers in general under Quinn Snyder? That's a very uh, natural question to ask, but I wonder what you think about like what impact this might have, maybe not short-term, but as we get going into next year and beyond. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. Um, you know, what I remember from those Utah teams is that when the ball rotated the weak side, they wanted to attack that space that was created quickly. And I remember having a conversation with you early in the season, maybe even before the season, about how, creating leverage on the strong side, which creates a seam on the weak mm-hmm. side, swing the ball, attack that seam. And DeJounte just instinctively kind of wants to get his defender in front of him and kind of get him moving. And that's just what DeJounte's instinct, it seems to be. So I do wonder if Quinn will start emphasizing go, attack that space. And and maybe that's more something like Sadiq Bey is 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 really good about kind of pressing, pressing the seam, kind of getting to the rim, getting you know, the free throw line and – Things like that, maybe maybe pushing Hunter a little bit to be more decisive, um, you know, kind of in that situation. And how much does he push Dejounte towards that? If that, that again, that's like he doesn't want to 
Quinn said in the press conference today, I don't want to push guys. I don't want to fill their heads up with things that end up kind of working against their instincts. And so but that, that was the thing. Like Joe Ingles was probably my favorite, maybe my favorite storyline from the Quinn time in Utah <laughs> was Joe Ingles going from being cut by the Clippers to like, I don't know, two or three years later, defending Chris Paul and clutch <laughs> in the playoffs really well. And you shooting know, but, like 48% from three that yeah. year too, something stupid like that. Yeah. But I mean, but when Joe Ingles would catch the ball on the weak side, it was, if his guy was closing out Joe Ingles, even though he's not the fastest guy in the league at all, driving past this guy, creating more leverage, driving kick or drive, you know, and so it's more of that, you know, see the space, see the seams, see the defender re- recovering from the strong side back out or recovering from the middle back out and attack that more aggressively. Quinn's teams are always super aggressive attacking the space and the leverage on the weak side where the Hawks just really haven't been doing that. So that's the one thing. And how did Trey and, you know, DeJounte kind of fit into that? That's that's not perfect, you know, from yeah. terms of the kind of player – you would drop into that, but there's still, I'm sure, you know, Quinn is already thinking of things that I don't think of in terms of ways to use their specific skills and abilities to do that. But in my mind, you know, I do think Trey and Dante have been good, but I don't know about you, but I still feel like they're not fully capitalizing on what's oh. possible, right? Yeah. And, may, and, and maybe that maybe Quinn can kind of help get them further along around more optimization and capitalizing more on what the duo kind of presents defenses. And to me, that's about being more aggressive in um, when you have leverage on the defense. Um, but what, well, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Quinn has like a thousand ideas already. And I'm like, sure he does. Yes. Which, which four or five do I go after early? And I can't wait to see what that looks like. Yeah. And he's been open already. Um, even, you know, in his interviews about how like he's going to have to watch more. And he's, he's said that like, I need to watch these guys more and kind of have that, just that knowledge base built up. You know, I'm sure he's watched some Hawks in the last few weeks or whatever, but the last few days, especially, but he doesn't have his full thought process done either. It's like, he's got to see more of that. And, you know, I, it's such a weird thing. Every time I do anything, that's like a, an out of market radio hit or something like that, I did a national radio hit this week. And it was like, Okay, what do you make of Trey and Dejounte? How they played so far this year? It's such a, it's such a nuanced discussion because you, on one hand, I agree with you; it's not fully formed, and they, there's so much more they could be doing with those guys. On the other hand, it hasn't been bad at all; like it's been fine. They uh, the numbers say it's fine. They seem to be getting along fine, generally speaking. Dejounte's numbers look fine. Trey's numbers now that he's starting to make some shots after the first month of the season look fine. So. It's, uh, it's not bad. It's just not quite all the way there yet. I'm sure Snyder knows that. I'm sure the team knows that. They probably know that they, there's more there. And, you know, they're they're the duo to circle. But you mentioned Hunter in there. That's a guy I'm circling. You know, Collins is a natural one too. But I want to know what Hunter looks like in two months. Like what they're going to ask of him. Because famously, he's not the fastest processor on offense. He kind of likes to – he's a hold guy. You know, Murray, you, said, you talked about Murray being kind of an examine the defense, get your guy in front of you. Hunter's the same way. He's not, he's never been a super reactive guy. And I wonder if he's going to take a, take more threes and B also maybe just like be more decisive attacking. And, you know, maybe, maybe they won't encourage Deandre to do as many of his, you know, ISO one, one dribble pull-ups that he's been doing for a while. So that's a guy to look at. I mean, there's lots of guys we could talk, you and I could talk about this for two hours. It's just one of those things. Like I have a checklist of things and I, I want to know, 
you know, Jalen Johnson's on it. AJ Griffin's on it. Like, yep. is, is there anybody you're thinking about like player wise, you know, we can go, if, if it's Trey, then talk about Trey, but if even beyond the big names, like, is there somebody that you're looking for and circling to like really keep an eye on the next couple of weeks just to see how, like what's changing and how they're being used or even long-term, like, cause clearly I have to remind myself, like this is really still more of a long-term thing. This year is going to matter. They're going to try this year to win, but a lot of these questions won't be answered until next year, basically. For me. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, uh, to start with DeAndre, you know, one thing I think we've seen Quinn do is that there's something Quinn wants a specific player to really focus on. The first one, two, three possessions of the game, they'll run specific action to get him to do that early, mm. and 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 that way that player is prepared for. Okay, the first two or three possessions, I'm going to get opportunities to. And for me, I think with DeAndre more than backing up behind the line a little bit more often. The, the one dribble pull-up doesn't bother me inside the line. He's a great mid-range shooter. Um, there are times he passes on an opportunity to get a good three-up, but but overall it doesn't bother me. I think for DeAndre, it's when, you, when you're when you big and strong and long, like get to the rim, you know. And, and yesterday, like exact point, like two times on their first, I think, three possessions – DeAndre went to the hole, got to the free throw. That's line, a lot, you yeah. know. And so I wonder if it's going to be kind of maybe maybe more of that with with AJ. AJ hasn't played a lot since in these two games, you know. Yeah, I know. I noticed that too. I mean, and maybe you know, we we've all focused on not to cut you off. We all, we all focused on on Jalen Johnson with regard to Sidiq Bay, and because we especially because Jalen didn't play that first game, and it was like, yeah. oh, what's going on here? But inevitably, if they trust Sidiq Bay as a more veteran guy, like Hunter got in foul trouble on in that game and they went to Sadiq at the three rather than going to AJ. They, they could have gone to more AJ. They didn't do that. So I wonder, obviously that's going to be a different staff now, but also it's the same staff pretty of those guys like Sadiq Bay is more of a veteran. And I think that Griffin is a much better prospect than Sadiq Bay, but they might just think that Sadiq's better right now. And that's, that, that wouldn't be like totally out of line. Yeah, it wouldn't be. And I guess the Cavs, I got it because going up against Garland and Mitchell, like getting AJ switched on the other one of those guys, AJ's just, even though he's improved his on-ball defense, he's just not ready to kind of really deal with that. Um, so I understood that. And then yesterday they were switching a, like a ton, like rapid switching. I put a, a possession on Twitter today where they were defending Spain and there were like literally like six switches in about three seconds. You Did know? they switch more yesterday than they, than they have in any game this season? I wonder if you thought that. I think so. Because it felt like it to me. Yeah, because it's not just ball screens. They were switching off ball. Like, mm-hmm. I remember one time Trey got caught in the one five pick and roll, and he got caught on Finney Smith, who was playing the five. Jalen came in and collected the Finney Smith from Trey and kicked Trey out. Jalen did a great job on that possession, recognizing he needed to get Trey out of the middle. You know, so there was, if we're counting the switches away from the ball screens, that had to be the most, in my, in my view. I think it's a great question. But, you know, you know, a, a, the key, I think the whole key for AJ is, what are they going to try to do defensively? And does he fit that? You know, mm-hmm. it's, that's, that's something I'm watching in my mind. Jalen has to play. That's just, that's just where I am. I'm not coming off. We, of we agree. We agree. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and then, and that's where more of the kind of the playmaking for, you know, there was a stretch of time where, you know, Joe Jocelyn went back to, you know, Utah. Right. And, and, and they, they try, you know, some Rudy Gay, they they kind of were seeking some of that kind of mm-hmm. along the way, and and I think Rudy is probably the best replica for what Quinn was trying to trying to find there to give them something there. Eventually, like they started playing Joe Ingles at the fork, you know, quite quite a lot, you know, 
And so I do think there's some stuff where Jalen fits that playmaking for that we saw the Utah trying to kind of find and discover, not to build around necessarily the starting unit or the, you know, the heaviest, most heavily used five-man lineup, but as an option and as a tweak. So I'm hoping there's kind of something there. Jalen Jalen has so Jalen's just been too good this year in my mind to not play, but that's a whole other conversation. No, no, I, and you're right. You're right. And also, I mean, I will say what happened on Sunday didn't bother me with Jalen. They, they, they played him in the first half. Yeah. And I'm okay if they think that, okay, second half, we're going we're gonna to trip it down a little bit. That didn't bother me at all. Like, I would have been fine if he played more, but as long as you – play him in every game and that's your plan and there's a 10 minute if everybody's healthy it's 10 guys all 10 guys should play um i honestly i i would lean more to Jalen than sadiq bay in a vacuum and that doesn't mean sadiq bay is bad i just think that uh sadiq bay's defense is not fantastic and I, they're very different players obviously but they're competing for the same minutes in a lot of ways they're playing when they go to sadiq they're playing him some of the three some of the three some of the four um i would be at least big picture leaning toward trying to have Jalen play a little more of those minutes, but I get why you wouldn't too. So it's kind of that ultimate. And this is where Quinn's imprint might come in. Maybe he has opinions in the next couple of weeks about like, okay, maybe he doesn't see it with Sadiq Bay or maybe he doesn't see it with Jalen. That's, that's possible right. too. And they just kind of trim it down and they, um, but I think long-term clearly Jalen's upside. I don't, I think so, there's some takes about it. Like they're pretty crazy. I, I got someone asked me with a straight face this week. I'm not thinking that person, by the way, they were like, this is the mini LeBron we all, that we all were expecting. And it's like, Mini LeBron. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that with Jalen Johnson. But I like Jalen a lot. We agree he should play, and it seems pretty natural. They, they have ten guys, and they should just play ten guys and mix and match. I mean, Nate. Nate is pretty rigid, and not always in a bad way, but sometimes in a frustrating way. But they yeah. have ten guys, and like, there's nothing wrong with, especially in second halves, tinkering. And they did that a little bit, honestly, with with Prenti on Sunday. Like they they wrote a Kongwu. They you know John was limited, which is part of the reason why this happened. But they. They did that. They went to you know more of more of Bay than usual. Uh, Bogey played um, really really well, but also limited minutes because that's another guy to like keep him fresh and he looks great right now. And cross your fingers on that because Bogey is huge and unlocking a lot of stuff for them. I don't know. There's just so much stuff to talk about, but it's um, I thought Sunday was fascinating for a lot of ways, but just the combination of like all the rotation stuff. Um, I think we just everybody agrees there's that, that they had ten guys and how they use the ten guys is uh, interesting. Yeah, don't play bogey 37 minutes. That's probably Ever. my number one thing, right? Well, even honestly, in a, in a very competitive game, Trey and DeJounte played, what, 33 and 34 minutes? Right. And in, with Nate, I'm not picking on it, but like that would have been 37 and 38, you would imagine, right. for those guys. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's a small thing, but that's that's eight minutes right there that you didn't play those guys. Yeah, and then the other thing from the Sunday game is DeAndre wasn't very good defensively yesterday. I guess he was out of rhythm the whole game, I thought. Just the foul yeah. trouble and everything. He just wasn't very good. So... But so, but he, but the thing is, is like typically when they played him at the four, I put that in air quotes. And with <laughs> Bogey, yep. Bogey often plays the four on defense, and DeAndre stays on the ball handlers more on defense. Yesterday, they basically they played him with Bay quite a bit, and Bay played the three, and DeAndre went to the four. And the heavy switching scheme, he just it seemed like something that was fairly. And they haven't done that a lot, like throw him at the four and then switch uh, a ton. It's so I, I they're gonna have to whatever the plan might be, if there's a an adjustment to how much Jalen plays or doesn't play, if there's a an adjustment to what position City plays uh on defense, 
around all of those things, Jalen's role, how that fits, does he play with Jalen or not? Does he play with Bogey? Do they, you know? And so that's another thing to kind of keep an eye on is to help him get kind of resettled defensively because they need him on ball. They need him at the point of attack. And if you're going to go to that much switching, you're kind of eroding a lot of his defensive value. Now, he, when he plays at the four in a more traditional um, kind of scheme, he's an awesome interior helper from the weak side, you know, but if they're switch, 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 I think you're, I think you're uh, kind of going away from doing things that set DeAndre up. Now that's not a higher priority than setting the team up for success. Obviously, of course, I think, I think there's something to do there with DeAndre defensively to kind of get him settled back into a role where he's, set up for success, or if it's a change, just to help him through that change so we can kind of go back to kind of making the impact because it was a struggle for him on Sunday. And I, I do wonder, I know we're talking about that's the most recent game on Sunday. I don't know if there's many opponents that the Hawks will treat that same way. I think Brooklyn is a pretty interesting case right now. They basically play one big, and it's Nick, as Nick Claxton is a very athletic, rangy big. They don't really have a lot of size, but they all have a, they have a lot of like wings, basically, wing size guys. I don't know if the Hawks will use that that deployment a lot. Maybe they will. Maybe that'll be more of what we see now. I'm not sure. But it might have just been that particular opponent. And that is at least worth acknowledging because I was thinking about that during the game. And I'm like, I wonder if they're going to play this way. And then I'm thinking this Nets team is like kind of pretty much set up to play this way in yeah. a way that a lot of teams won't, won't be. So I'm not sure if yeah. that's negative or not. You'll see some of that from the Raptors. You'll yeah. See, <laughs> they have one more game with the Pacers and the Pacers play really small a lot. Apart in the Eastern Conference, at least, I, I can't really think of anyone else, you know, and I think they're done with Toronto. So, uh, and one more with India just going off memory. And so that, that's all I can think of. Um, yeah. I, I know with, with the Charlotte post Plumlee, um, when Williams comes off the floor, they're playing a lot smaller, but they're done with Charlotte. <laughs> so, so yeah. I don't, I don't think they have a lot left on the schedule until, potentially a postseason matchup puts them into a play with Toronto or, or whatever it might look or Indy or whatever. Hopefully for their sake, they do better than playing, but we'll, you know, we'll see. But I think, I think that last indie game is the only one I think that might look a little bit like this, this game did. Yeah. And, you know, not to do a full on preview at the end of this conversation, but uh, the Hawks do play the wizards four times in the final 21 games of the season, which starts mercifully finally on tuesday uh it's not it's very weird to have a divisional opponent that they haven't played so far which means they have to play them four more times the wizards are kind of a weird team and uh, porzingis is doubtful so i'm assuming he i'm assuming he, I'm assuming he won't play and which changes things for them uh, i know you watch the whole league do you have any uh thoughts about what a uh what a wizards game looks like on tuesday acknowledging that quinn will be the coach and going back to that like i can't imagine he's going to have much input on on the game plan necessarily for the wizards right. but um just broadly speaking, because we're going to see, I mean, this is a situation where literally a fifth of the games remaining are against the Wizards. So uh, what do yeah. you make of that? I mean, a lot, a lot to me, what I think about the Wizards, I think a lot comes down to who's playing center for them. Like Gafford is really foul prone. Um, you know, Porzingis, if he was playing with the time he has at the five, still struggles a little bit, kind of the physicality uh, of being on the interior. And you can kind of keep, kind of keep going from there, you know? So I, I think you attack the rim as much as you can. Um, you know, Gafford is a good physical presence inside, but like I said, he fouls a lot. So, and then Kuzma, you know, I know Hawks fans talk a lot about Kuzma this year around, you know, could there be a JC for Kuzma? Kuzma is just not the help defender of the weak side kind of helper that you'd want it to for. He's, he's a better defender. I mean, he's worked hard to become a better defender, but he's still below average for the position. 
Um, and but they will play fast. I mean, they will they will play fast, and you know, challenge your principles and fundamentals around transition defense. They will you know stretch the floor with you know shooters, um, and and uh, you know, and so they it's sort of like it reminds me a little bit, not quite the same, but like when the Hawks just were not prepared for Indiana's pace and they got beat by this team that everyone felt like, despite Indiana's record, almost the whole season has kind of been right around where the Hawks record has been, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so I just think you have to be prepared for what they try to do stylistically. The best thing you can do against a team like that is attack the rim, make shots, set your defense, go from there. And I think that's what kind of, that's the keys to start the game, at least, at least for me there. I watched a little bit of Wizards Bulls yesterday, not live, but uh, after just knowing that the Hawks were going to play them. Um, they basically played, I think, the entire game or close to it with either Gafford or Taj Gibson at center. Taj Gibson still kicking around. Yeah. Um, and again, that's without Porzingis, who I don't think is going to play in this game either. Yeah. And, you know, the Wizards, uh, they've been so weird this season beyond that. They, they keep going on this, like, they'll win five in a row and then lose five in a row, and like, and all year long. It's basically they alternate just being good and not good back-to-back, and that leads them to being, what, they're 28 and 32 right now. Um, I don't have a lot of scheme observations to get to, but, you know, they have they have some talent. You know, this will have Beal and Kuzma, et cetera, but it's a roster where the Hawks will have the more talented team. The Hawks uh, will be at home, uh, at least for this first matchup. And this is a game that, like, you just you just need to take care of business and win. Like, it's not it doesn't mean it's a game that would be like the worst loss in the history of the world if you lose it. But like, the Wizards are trying. That's notable. They're trying to be a playing team and all that. But I think just my simple observation would be the Hawks are going to be favored considerably. I would imagine I'm looking this up right now. Um, no line. Oh, there is a line. FanDuel has the Hawks minus six, which is essentially the same line as the Brooklyn game. I would be. Uh, I, I would. I'd actually make this. This is this is a game that I believe is a little bit easier than the Brooklyn game, personally. Yeah, agree. And, and the Wizards like are different. So you kind of put this. They're a different experience. Like you'll watch them at one point, and they're trying to do some serious stuff with Denny, right? And then you'll watch them another time, and they're not. They don't care if Denny gets a touch or not. And you'll come back and like they'll be <laughs> they'll be running they'll be running floppy for Kispert, and then you'll come back three weeks later and like they're That's not the Wizards. You know, uh, they're so they're, it, such, they're it, such a it, weird team. I mean, I'm excited to see DeLon Wright. I know you have a mutual admiration like I do for absolutely. DeLon. Yeah. Uh, he, he's probably going to start. I mean, he might start for them. I mean, Money Morris is questionable, and DeLon started the other game, the last game, without him. So we'll see DeLon. That's always a highlight for me. But I, the Wizards are just – they're such a shrug team for me. I, I don't even know what to make. And it, it is funny to me, like, with with a team having both DeLon and Monty, like, how are you not decked out with Wizards gear right now? Because you're – Well, I love you know, yeah, I love them both, but it's <laughs> it's the rest of the team. Like, it's not even – it's not even that I don't like – I, I like Denny, too. I like Corey Kispert. Right. Like, I think Kyle Kuzma's come a long way. I used to be – I'm not the biggest fan, but I used to really, like – not like him and now i think he's pretty decent he's a pretty good player um good. it's just that they just they're just kind of blah like they're yeah. from or, organizationally they just like try to be that way i think they're trying to be the temp seed every year it's just a it's a bold approach yeah they i mean they they are in my mind they're kind of transitioning to and they're kind of in the lab around what do we do with porzingis like how do, do we build around him as a primary guy or is he more of kind of a supporting guy? What do we have there? What does Bill look like with Porzingis? And, and so they're, they're just, I think they're trying a lot of different things, which is why they look so different from week to week or month to month or whatever you happen to be able to catch them. Um, but I, I think they're going to have a very a vastly different roster next year than this year. Um, and then, you know, are they on the brink where they could like, okay, let's shut down Chris Stapps and let's, see how many ping pong balls we can get us if we can get, you know, 
French kid, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, he'd so be, he'd be pretty who, who knows? Yeah. Who knows the rest of the, the rest of the way, kind of what their party is going to be. And, and knowing them, it might change week to week along the way too, just because they're, they're just, it's hard to pin down exactly kind of what they're about right now. Yeah. That's a good way to put that in uh, a game. The Hawks will be favored in and uh, you know, potential, a pretty good chance to go to uh, a three, three game winning streak and start the Quinstar era on a positive note. Glenn, we could talk forever. Uh, I have other stuff that I, on, on my notes, but we've we've already gone probably too long at this point in time. So please share with folks how they can find your work. At, uh, I always praise you, and I'll do it with you on the show. Your X's and O stuff is uh, completely invaluable. And also, uh, you and Kevin do a great job, too, on the podcast side. Don't tell them I said that. Uh, I actually joined you guys the other day. You which did. Was fun. Um, was but a, <laughs> a huge, huge surprise for me. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I think it was fun for listeners, too. I, you know, I think in any case, maybe this this probably shows up in how you prepare for your guest rotation, all that sort of stuff. It's kind of trying to balance the normal voices and the consistency with some fresh kind of voice as well. So it was, you know, you added a lot to that conversation. I always love talking with you anyway, but it was great. But yeah, on Twitter, you can see it there if you're on YouTube uh, at Willis underscore Glenn. That's the best way to kind of find my work. Uh, I'm not writing as much at Peace Through Hoops, but I try to put something out, you know, now and then. Uh, my day job is a lot busier than it was a couple of years ago, which is for good, good reasons, good stuff there. But yeah, find me on Twitter and you can basically find anything that's going to kind of come out for me uh, there. So please do follow Peace Tree Hoops, support the team. They're doing great work over there. Still um, our fearless leader, Zach is, you know, uh, leading us uh, through another season where I think we're putting out great content there. So support those guys too. Definitely. I have a uh, great affection for that particular website. Having, been there as a writer and running the place and all that stuff so agreed on that and uh if you're not following glenn on twitter i don't really know what you're doing if you're a hawks fan i'll just say that that plainly so go ahead and do that if you have not done that to this point and uh thank you again my friend for joining me i will i'm sure bug you to do this again in the near future especially when we have some actual data on quinn snyder but for now it was fun to speculate with you (laughs) absolutely good to be back always good to chat with you and i look forward to next time As for everybody else, please subscribe to this show as well, and we'll see you after the game on Tuesday.